The first fruits of the gospel were 3,000 converted men and women on the day of Pentecost. The first thing they did was form a community of believers. We call this community the church. Over the years, Cross Church has tried to imitate the first church. Here is what they did, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Good morning. Good to see, well, thank you. And it's good to see everybody. Welcome back. And we are now week six on our series in the book of Acts, which is going to go on for one full year. So sixth week, we're on our way. So here we are today looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. If you have your Bibles, please take them, turn there, and uh, be prepared to follow along. And let me just quickly give you a recap uh, a very brief recap of all that we have looked at and learned. Uh, first of all, we learned that Jesus Christ, just before he returned to the Father, just before his ascension into heaven, he gives what we call the Great Commission. And he told his disciples that their job is to go into all the, and preach the Gospels, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the world. Now, you could, you could pass these tests I'm giving you right now if you came to the first service. Then you could you know how to answer in the second. But the, the, the important thing is to understand what the gospel actually is. So the gospel is more than just Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You need to understand the implications of that. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that God has healed the relationship that was broken. Remember, it was broken in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because they sinned against God. And now, through Jesus Christ, this relationship is healed. And that's why we, on the day that Jesus was born, the angels came to, to earth and they were singing a song. Remember that? Peace on earth and what? And goodwill toward men on whom his favor rests. What's that about? Well, it's a celebration that Jesus has come to reconcile us to the Father. That's good news. And what else do we learn? We learned that through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Now, can I just remind everybody this morning, if you are a Christian today, then you understand that you are saved, that you are a Christian, you're born again, not because of what you did, a lot of people think that, don't they? They think, so I gotta do A, B, C, D, and E, and if I can do all these things, then I'm good with God, right? Wrong. The only way that we can be made right with God is by putting our faith in somebody who's perfect. I can never be perfect. They passed around, you're paid to be good, but <laughs> you're not paying me enough <laughs> in order to be that good. Only Jesus Christ is good, right? Only he is perfect. So we put our faith in him, and therefore we receive his righteousness. Hallelujah. That's what we have. We have the righteousness of Christ. This is good news because this is the righteousness that pleases God. What else do we know about, about this good news? Well, it means that I have now the ability and even the right to come to the throne of God and ask for whatever it is that I need. I can come with my petitions, my prayer requests. I can come freely to him. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have that right. A lot of people don't know that. The only way that you can come to the throne of God with your petitions, with your prayer requests, is if you have been made right with God by putting your faith in Jesus. But wait, there's more. It means now you are part of the family of God. Of God, hallelujah. 
It means now that you are part of an eternal family, that someday when you die, you're going to heaven. You don't have to be afraid of dying. Anybody happy about that? You don't have to be afraid of anything anymore. When you die, right into the presence of the Lord. That's because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. And what's more, I can call God my Father and know that he loves me. And he loves me not because I'm good, but because I put my faith in the one who is good. So are we clear about the gospel? Yeah, now there's so much more I could say about that, but I've just given you just some of the highlights of this gospel that we celebrate and that we preach here at Cross Church. So here's the next thing that happens. The Holy Spirit has come to the 120 that we're meeting on the day of Pentecost. And you'll notice that over their heads are what looks like little columns of fire, or as it says in the New Testament, tongues of fire. That's what it looks like. Folks, I want you to to quickly recognize what's going on here. So for hundreds of years, we we first read about this. um, We read about this when God delivered Israel out of the hands of Pharaoh. We see the column of fire that goes behind the children of Israel that protects them. Remember that? And we see that column of fire It rests above the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle that is in the midst of the people of Israel. So God is in the midst of the people, but something incredible happens on the day of Pentecost. That column of fire that is over the Holy of Holies now comes into the upper room and now divides amongst the people of God. Now, God is not dwelling in a temple built by the hands of men. Now, God has come to indwell every single believer. Somebody say hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? That's what Paul said, that that our bodies are not our own. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so the spirit of the living God has come to dwell, indwell us, because now we are the temple of God. That's what we learn. And then we, we discussed the sermon that Peter preached. And at the end of that sermon, here's what, what happened. He concludes the sermon by saying this, verse 36 of Acts 2. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what must we do? What should we do now? What should we do now? Well, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Did you hear that? Peter preached for a long time. So I was thinking maybe I would do that today. No? He preached for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Hey, here we are in 2022, almost 2,000 years later, and we have the same message, save yourself from this crooked generation. Folks, do you understand that we live in a world that is fallen? Nothing's new. The way it is today is the way it was 2,000 years ago. We live in a crooked and broken and twisted world that still needs Jesus. And that's why at Cross Church, we preach the gospel that the world needs. And we will not shift from that. We will not change from that. We will continue that pattern because that is what we do. What happens when the gospel is preached? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. It says in verse 41, it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. And so here, this is called the mikvah. This was used by the Jewish people for ceremonial cleaning. It's part of their worship ceremony. But now because we have so many of these 
of these mikvahs around the temple, we are able to easily baptize 3,000 people. It's absolutely thrilling. And I can tell you, when, when I visited Israel with my father-in-law, it happened to be one of those times when the guide pointed this out. This is how you baptize 3,000 people, with lots of baptismal pools. And by the way, if you want to go to Israel, my father-in-law is here. You can talk to him about that. Now, as a free plug for you, Dad, I get a commission. Uh, <laughs> I want us to look now at, uh, at verses 42 to 47. So follow along in your Bibles, please. And here's what it says. Remember, this is the birthday of the church, and I'm telling you what, I'm an amazing party. The Holy Spirit has come, people are speaking in tongues, there's rejoicing, what a hoopla, what a party. What happens next? Well, verse 42 tells us what happens next. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need, and they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So what we're seeing happening here, folks, in verse 42, is we're seeing a community formed, and this community is called the church. Exactly, it's a community called the church. And I want you to see something about the word community. It comes from that word commune, which, which we find over and over again in the, in the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's that word koinonia. It's, uh, it's what we have in common. So the thing that we as believers have in common is what? Jesus. Jesus Christ, our faith in Christ. That is what makes us family. So everybody here today who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not, I am your brother, whether you like it or not. And I'm always surprised when people don't like it because I like everybody. That's my wife, she'll tell you that. But that's what we have in common. We, the thing we have in common, first and foremost, is our faith in Jesus Christ. That is what makes us one. Get it? Okay, so then we can go on because you need to understand that. That's what the church is. It's not just a collection of people that come here and go through these vague religious exercises. No, no. The church is made up of people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We have a common Lord, a common Savior. We have one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism. That's what makes us one. Right? Okay, good. Got to just make sure that we're all on the same page here. Now, this was an extraordinary time to be alive such wonders, such wonderful things taking place. The Holy Spirit of God has come to indwell all of these believers. This is something, nobody, nobody could understand or even anticipate this. The prophets spoke of it, but nobody really knew what that meant. Jeremiah, and I believe Ezekiel as well, talked about the fact that God was going to do something very special in the heart of his people. He would exchange the heart of stone for a heart of flesh. In other words, whereas before we were dead, when we became Christians, we came alive. We have new life in Jesus Christ. Wow. And verse 42 tells us what happens after these people have been born again, after they've received the Holy Spirit. We discover that they, in fact, practice what we call at our church, new habits. Some of you remember that we used to talk about the seven habits. We still talk about the seven habits, but we made a change. Uh, and uh, I'm so excited to roll this out to you. It's coming a week from this Wednesday. If you haven't signed up yet, you need to sign up. And I'm hoping that this place will be packed out. We put tables up, you're able to sit around, we give you notes. And I'm gonna tell you what, what I'm gonna share is not necessarily what you've heard before. I have lots of new material. I've been working on this now for months. Uh, Gloria and I, some of you know, we just had a bit of a vacation and then we visited Jesse, our son Jesse and his wife Amber. 
But all during the day, I would work on, on my notes, and in the evening, Gloria and I would enjoy ourselves, go for walks and pray together. But I want you to understand something. These new believers, they adopted some new practices. And here's what they began to do. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the and to prayer. Now, I want you to see something about these habits, these behaviors. Teaching, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, prayer together. And by the way, these, this is not an exhaustive list of the things that these new believers did. But remember, this is just the start. It's just the beginning. We're at the very earliest phase of the birth of the church. This is the very beginning of discipleship. And I'm going to be exploring all this in these classes that you absolutely don't want to miss. And you want to make sure that you get your family here, get as many people here as possible, because I'm going to tell you how you can live a victorious Christian life. Who wants to live a victorious Christian life? Some of us have struggled in our lives. We wonder why we're struggling. We put our faith in Christ, and yet we keep falling. We keep making mistakes. We keep stumbling. We keep getting discouraged. We keep leaving, leaving God. We, we keep... We keep messing up. Well, I'm going to tell you, my friends, how you can begin to live in the glory and the power and the victory that comes through Jesus Christ. And this is just a taste of what you need to understand. Now, it was the Methodist, John Wesley, who called these things, he called these the means of grace. Say that with me, the means of grace. It wasn't just John Wesley, but it was the Puritans as well. They called this the means of grace. I've been studying the means of grace for a long time now. In fact, I have probably, I don't know, uh, 10, 12 books with means of grace in the title. And I, I can tell you I've been studying this hard. And you need to understand what this means. You say, Pastor Owen, what are we talking about when we're talking about the means of grace? Well, let me put it simply like this. What is, what are the, what's the means of good health? What do you need in order to have good health? It's the same thing. What do I need in order to have, have power and victory in my life? So if you're going to have a healthy body, if you're going to be living a healthy life, the means of good health is, first of all, you need to exercise, right? Right? No? You don't have to, you don't have to exercise? You have to exercise? What else do you have to do? You, you have to eat right. You've got to eat vegetables, fruit. No? No good for you? I want French fries, just to eat French fries. You can't eat too much, right? You have to eat the right amounts. What else? You've got to make sure that you're living a relatively stress-free life, right? All of this are the means of good health. Now, the question is this, how do we have a victorious Christian life? Well, we need the means of grace. And by the way, it was the Puritans and John Wesley and others who called it the ordinary means of grace. In other words, by ordinary, we mean the standard or the normal ways of obtaining God's grace. That's all we're talking about. So it's the regular way that we ex receive God's grace. But the question is, is this, what is grace? Some of you remember that I made a confession to you. I was reading in 2 Peter, this is when I was in my mid-20s, already completed Bible school in the ministry, and I read that verse in Peter that said, and make sure that you grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I can tell you, I was growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but I had no idea, no idea what it meant to grow in grace. I had no idea what that meant. Didn't learn it in Bible school. It wasn't talked about. Nobody seemed to know. And I began from that moment on trying everything in my power to discover what that meant. Well, here's what grace is. And this comes from the outline of biblical usage by Larry Pierce. 
And he defines grace this way, and I love this. It's so good. It's so consistent with everything I have been studying now for the last 35 years when it comes to God's grace. And by the way, can I just remind everybody before I go any further, grace is not a license to sin. We are not antinomians here. Do you understand what that means? Noma, noma meaning the law, means we're not against the law of God. We believe in fulfilling the law of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. No, we're not antinomians. We, we believe in God's grace, and grace is not a license to go and sin and do live like hell. Everybody understands that. But here's what grace is. Grace is the merciful kindness by which God exerting his holy influence upon souls, he turns them to Christ. That's how you became Christians, by God's grace. He keeps you, he strengthens you, he increases them in Christian faith, in knowledge, affection, and stimulates them. The actual word, word that was used here by Larry is kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. In other words, what he's saying here is that if you are going to live a life that pleases God, you need the grace of God because you can't do it on your own. The spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. That's what God's grace is. Because for so many people, it's a vague idea. It's a magical idea. Don't, it's how do you measure this? Where did it come from? What is it? I'm going to tell you plainly, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And it's, it, it comes to us not because we deserve it. It comes to us because it is coming from a heart of a loving Heavenly Father. Amen? That's the grace of God. That's the kindness of Almighty God. And that's why so often when we, when we give the definition, uh, definition of grace, we call it God's undeserved love towards the believer. But even that, like, what does that mean? Well, now you know. God is at work in you, completing what he began in you. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Somebody shout hallelujah here. God is not finished with you. You're sitting here today, you're beating yourself up, you're feeling terrible because you've sinned, you've failed, you've made mistakes, but here's what you need to know. God's not finished with you. His grace is at work in you, transforming you and making you, conforming you to the image of his son. How many know that God has got and wants good things for you? Everybody knows that? The question is, what is the good thing he wants for you? Now, there's some preachers who'll say, God wants you to have the nicest car on the block. God wants you to have a Mercedes Benz, and God wants you to have a house bigger than everybody else's. God wants you to have the nicest clothes. God wants you to have whatever you want. This, this is not only heresy, it is blasphemous because it goes against what Jesus taught. You cannot serve both God and money. You'll love one and hate the other or vice versa. No, 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 no. When, if we, when we're gonna talk about the grace of God and we're gonna talk about God's what God's goodwill is for you, and I've said this so many times, and you need to get this drilled into your heart and your mind. What God wants for you is to conform you to the image of his son. He wants you to be like Jesus. Did you get that? He wants you to be like Jesus. Now, the only way that you are gonna be like Jesus is if you receive and have his grace that makes you like his son. All things work together for good right? For those that love God who are called according to his purpose, what is the good? That we are conformed to the image of his son. That's, my friends, what God's will is for your life. He's making you like Jesus. So we need, we need this grace. Everybody would recognize that, right? We need this grace. If we're going to live a life that pleases God, if we're going to be victorious in our Christian life, then what we have to do is we have to back to this. We need to avail ourselves to the teachings. And by the word, that, that word teaching in Greek just simply means doctrine. We need to get the fellowship with other believers. We need to receive the Lord's Supper. We need to pray. And there's a few other things that you're going to find out about when you attend the class a week from this Wednesday. And everybody's going to be there, right? Amen. Good. That sounded like most of you. 
If you can't make it, by the way, talk to Taryn and she will try to help you come up with a solution. Now, once we receive his Holy Spirit, we discover that we, we, we have the supernatural work of God in us. It continues in us through scripture reading, through fellowship, through communion and prayer. By the way, can I just say this to you? This is how we raised our children. We raised our children simply teaching them these habits and, and leading them in the regular observance of these habits. These, these habits became their habits. Now, that's my job as a parent. I am in the business of discipling. Does everybody understand that? And if you're a parent today, you too are in the business of making disciples. And how do you do it? Very simple. You're teaching these habits. This is just the beginning. Now, our problem, our problem is that we, while we like verse 42, it doesn't thrill us the way verse 43 thrills us. We like verse 42, but we prefer verse 43. In fact, if we're honest, we would like to focus on verse 43 more than on verse 42. You say, Pastor Allen, what are you talking about? Well, if you had your Bibles here, you'd know. But since some of you don't, I'm gonna show you the scripture verse. You see how nice I am? Verse 43, a deep sense of awe, fear, it might say in, in your version of the scripture, it came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. This, this is the verse that we like, because this is exciting. This is thrilling. This is magnificent. This is wonderful. This is, this, well, this is where I get my buzz. This is where I get excited about church. If I could just come to church every Sunday and see signs and wonders and miracles, if I could be the one that performed them, that would even be better. Imagine if we could all perform these things every week. Imagine if it was an awesome experience. Now, I don't want anybody going away from here saying, Pastor Allen does not believe in signs and wonders or miracles. Pastor Allen does not believe in that. I do. But you see, the problem is you can't skip verse 42. And that's what we all do. We're interested in verse 43 because that is what appeals to us. But what doesn't appeal to us is the boring disciplines of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. The question is this, how do we know the continued working of the Holy Spirit in the life, in, in our lives, in the life of the believer? The answer, my friends, is verse 42. It's not verse 43. You need to understand, if you're gonna continue to know the same work of the Holy Spirit that you experienced on the day that you were converted or born again, if you're gonna know that same work of the Spirit in your life, then you are gonna to have to settle on verse 42. And if you get verse 42, then I'm pretty sure you're gonna get verse 43 as well. God will throw that in, but not without verse 42. Pastor Sean, can we talk about this further? Yes, I would love to discuss that with you. Thanks for asking. I have known people in, in church their whole life looking for the supernatural, looking for the miracles, looking for the wonders and on and on. I know people who speak in tongues and they live like hell. And I'm not kidding you. I know people who've grown up in this and they don't know any doctrine. They don't, if you ask them the doctrines, they don't know them. I know, I know pastors that don't know the doctrines, but they know all the ways to get the Holy Spirit moving and, and on and on and on. Now, please, don't anybody go away from here saying, Pastor Allen's not a Pentecostal. This is the Pentecostal church. I thought I was going to a Pentecostal church. Can I reiterate? You can't know the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life if you are not a holy vessel of God. The only way that you become a holy vessel is through experiencing the means of God's grace. If you wanna know that grace, that empowering, that enabling of God, then you have to go through the boring steps of what we call the disciplines of the Christian life. The root of disciple and discipline is the same. But we don't like that. We, when I go to church, I wanna, I wanna be 
entertain, Pastor. Can we have some bells and whistles? And can we, can we have more excitement? And, and can we have performances? Pastor Ellen, a three-ring work, circus would be great every Sunday. I would love to bring my kids to that. And some churches, that's exactly what they try to do in order to grow. In fact, there's all kinds of conferences that you can go to as a pastor that will teach you how to even have a bigger church, how to get bigger crowds. Folks, anybody can have a crowd. I just have to douse myself with, with gasoline and set myself on fire. I'll have a big crowd around me. But I don't think that would be a very efficient way of getting an attendance every Sunday. I mean, basically, I could only do it once. Hello, hello. So what do we need? We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, but it begins with the daily boring business of daily growing in Christ by availing ourselves to the means of God's grace. Theologian Michael Horton, he asks in his article, The Ordinary Christian Life, you can look it up. He asks the question, whatever happened to ordinary? And then he lists a whole, a whole long list of buzzwords in the Christian culture. Now, you always, you've always heard me say that here at Cross Church, I have protected our congregation against the craziness out there. And the craziness, by the way, is not always in the world. Sometimes it's even in the church. But here's the list of words that pastors try to use, churches try to use in order to attract people. It's going to be epic. It's radical. It's going to be revolutionary. Transformative, impactful, life-changing, extreme, awesome, emergent, alternative, innovative, on the edge, cutting edge, explosive, breakthrough, missional, a whole new level. It's just in this generation, the first generation that ever discovered anything about Christianity. One church I know of even advertises, are you tired of boring church? Come to our church. Well, folks, I'm sorry to tell you, this is a boring church. Amen. Thanks. <laughs> this is a church where you're going to be taught the disciplines of the Christian life that enables the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you for the glory of God. When you come to church, no bells and whistles. I'm not a performer. I'm not, you don't pay me to perform for you every Sunday. My job is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and then let Jesus Christ be the one who is front and center here. You did not come to hear a performer. You did not come to hear a superstar. You came to meet with Jesus Christ. You came here to know the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in this place. And that's why whatever we do here points to Jesus Christ. I don't wanna make a name for myself. I had one pastor say that to me. You can't go to Carberry, Manitoba. How will you ever make a name for yourself? You could have pushed me over with a feather because this was an older man in the ministry, somebody that I respected. Make a name for myself? What? What chapter and verse do you get that from? Make a name for myself? John the Baptist, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals. Make a name for myself? John said, he must increase, I must decrease. My job is not to make a name for myself. My job is not to be a superstar. Someone said to me, Pastor Allen, why don't you have the Alan Duncalf webpage? Why don't you have a website, Alan Duncalf Ministries? Because it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's been about Jesus Christ. It's been about his church. I'm just one of the people who's a member here along with you. You and I are co-laborers together for the glory of God. Some people pass on, we want to get you up on your pedestal so that we can make a name, and then we can build the product, and we can build around you. And 
That's not the church. That's not in the scripture. No. We want the means of God's grace. And that means, my friends, that sometimes we're just going to have to be boring. And by boring, I mean extraordinary. Because when you and I practice the ordinary means of grace, we give the Holy Spirit the freedom to do extraordinary things in our lives. We give the Spirit the freedom to do great and mighty things in our midst. And I'm going to tell you something, my friends. The Holy Spirit is doing great and mighty things through this church. This is why we celebrate a missions banquet every year, because we want to give God glory for the great and mighty things that he does. That's why I don't use the, the first-person pronoun. You don't, I did this, I did that, I'm going here, this is mine, mine, this is my church, my people, my board, my staff. I don't use that language. If I talk about the staff, it's, it's the team that I'm on. To talk about the elders, the elders I, that I govern with. Talk about the church, it's not my church. It's my church in the sense that I attend it, but this, is the, this, this church belongs to Jesus Christ. The notion that I could build a church is not in the scripture. Does anybody understand what I'm saying today? Jesus said, I will build my church. He said, well, Pastor Allen, what's, what's our job? And Pastor Allen, what are we paying for you, paying you for if you're not building a church? Well, my job is to make disciples. And you too, that's your job. You make disciples and Jesus builds his church. You get it? That's how this works. And that's how God's glorified. It has nothing to do with Alan Duncalf. I just had the honor and the privilege of being your pastor, which means, <laughs> it just simply means I'm the chief servant around here. I serve everybody. That's my job. I'm here to serve you. That's it. It's an illusion that God is still doing extraordinary things in the sense that the world wants to talk about extraordinary things. Understand what God wants to do in you and me. He wants us to grow. And growth is not always obvious. Everybody understands that. If you've got a brain in your head, you understand this. Nobody can see a tree grow, right? Even though, even bamboo grows at an, an incredibly quick rate, you can't see it growing before your eyes. But if you go away from it, sometimes overnight, that's all it takes, and it, it grows overnight. A child, you can't see your child grow unless you haven't seen the child for a week or two months or whatever, or a year, and you see that child has grown a lot. A tree, you can't see it growing, but it's growing. Why? Because it avails itself of what? Of the means of growth. And you will grow too if you avail yourself of the means of grace. We have to get that clear in our heads. Now, it's when you and I are growing that God begins to do extraordinary things. If you're going to grow in your faith, then you need these ordinary, this ordinary means of God's grace, the standard by which God helps you to grow by his spirit. Now, a growing church must have growing Christians. Does everybody get that? I don't care how big the church is. We had thousands and nobody's converted, big deal. You don't really have church, you just have a crowd. What we're interested in here at Cross Church, what our elders are concerned about, is that we have an authentic church with authentic believers, true and real followers of Jesus Christ. Does everybody get that? That's who we are. That's what we do. So I want you to look at this verse again. Go back to verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, Lord's Supper, and prayer. Now I want you to see something here. It says the apostles' teaching. That word teaching, didaxi, it's where we get the word doctrine. It's the word. And I want you to see that it's called the apostles' teaching. Why do we, why do we see that? Because here's what you need to know. An apostle 
It was the office of those 12 disciples that were followers of Jesus Christ. They witnessed everything that he did. They witnessed his miracles. They heard his sermons. They heard his parables. They, they saw him perform miracles. They saw his interaction with sinners. They saw the mercy that he extended. They heard the Lord's prayer. They heard of his birth. They heard of him growing up as a young boy who grew in, in stature and in favor with God and man. They, they heard about this. They compiled the information. They witnessed it. They saw his death. They heard his prophecy of his death, that he was going to die. Some of them were with him when he was transformed on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were witnesses to all this. They saw his death. They saw his resurrection. They saw then his ascension into heaven. Now listen, this became the scripture. This became the gospels. And it was this information that the early church was focused on. We can easily now just say this is the word of God. The apostles were there listening to Jesus appealing to the Old Testament to reveal the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. You and I need to understand that. The next thing you, need, you and I need to understand is that this studying of the scripture, the studying of the truth, is what gives us the supernatural grace to then live as followers of Christ. How could we live as a follower of Christ if we don't know Christ? If we don't know anything about him, if we don't know his teaching. It's the only way. Now, some of you call yourselves Christians, but you haven't read your Bible for months. Now, I'm not judging or condemning anybody here. I'm here to encourage you. It's if you're going to grow, you need to avail yourself to the means of grace. You need to read your Bible. You need to study the apostles' teaching. You need to know Jesus. The only way you're going to do it is by studying the Scripture. The second thing I want you to see is that they were engaged in fellowship. Verse 44 and 45 say this, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They had all things in common. Verse 45, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with their money with those in need. Now, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, this proves that communism is what God wants. Has anybody heard that? This proves that we have to be socialists. This proves that we have to be, no, like, let's not be stupid here. Let's take a look at what's going on here. If they really sold their homes, what, what houses were they meeting in? Because it says they were meeting in homes. They obviously didn't sell everything, but they did sell what was necessary to sell in order to meet the needs of those who were there. Who are we talking about? You see, you got to re realize something. There were 3,000 people, people from all over the world. They've just become born again. They've just been converted. They've just been baptized. And now they're thinking, I can't leave town. I, I can't go back home yet. I've got to stay here and learn as much as I can. Now understand, when these people set out on their journey to come to Israel, because all Jewish people had to come for the Feast of Weeks, that was the law. And they would have brought along exactly the amount that they needed, and maybe a wee bit more, in case there was an accident or a problem, but they would have brought enough to get home from the Feast of Weeks. But now there's, now there's a change. Now circumstances have changed. They're born again. They can't go home. They gotta hang around. They gotta learn what they can. How are they gonna hang around there? They, they don't have a MasterCard. And what card is it? Don't leave home without it. They did, because <laughs> they weren't available. <laughs> there were no, there's no debit machine. There's no ATM. How are they gonna stay there? How are they gonna learn? How are they gonna, how are they gonna focus on the teachings of the apostles? I'll tell you how. through the community, through the commune, through the koinonia, through the fellowship of the believers. 
And so those Christians who lived in Jerusalem, they said, well, you got no place to stay. You have no money. Stay with me. I'll give you what I have. In fact, I'll sell what I have so that I can afford to pay for you and your family to, to stay with me. That's what's going on here, folks. It's a, it's a, it blows your mind. It's a picture that blows your mind. All these people who have gathered here, now who are born again, they can't go home because they got to stay and hear the gospel preached. And so that's what they do. And it's made possible because of other believers who are born again and who live in Jerusalem. You see what's going on here? They're taking care of one another. This is supernatural. This is, a, this is a miracle, people, that's taking place. Here we are, the means of God's grace. God pours out his provision when people go about the boring habits that we're talking about here. And God meets the needs of these people. This is, this is mind-boggling. Who's going to support people? The new Christians will. And by the way, while they're at it, they thought, well, we can take care of the widows. We can take care of the orphans. In fact, we'll take care of anybody because we're Christians. That's what Christians do. And those who are not Christians, they're looking on thinking, you people are nuts, but we kind of like it. <laughs> we decided to find you people charming. I wouldn't do it, but man, there's something transformed in you. Well, we know what it is. It's the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And these people met together in this fellowship, this koinonia. They're growing together. They're studying. They're discussing and asking the Holy Spirit to show them the truth. And God is just pouring out revelation upon them. What else is happening? They're learning how to love one another. They're learning how to, how to serve each other. Does everybody remember what Jesus said? He said, by this, the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Oh, yes, of course, that sounds like a good idea. Hold on a minute here. No, when Jesus says love one another, he means love one another. That means now that I'm going to put you first before me. I'm going to make sure that you are fed before I feed myself. I'm going to make sure everybody else is taken care of before I take care of myself. I'm going to make sure everybody else has their needs met before I take care of my own needs. People are looking on at this and saying, these are the wackiest people I ever saw. Something happened here. Yes, you're followers of Jesus Christ. This is what you do. The one thing that proves you're a follower of Jesus Christ is not that you keep the Ten Commandments or that you know Romans chapter 8 off by heart or that you've memorized the whole Pentateuch. No, the thing that proves that you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, is that you love others and put others first. Or as Paul says, you prefer others above yourself. This is... This is this is what happens in the context of fellowship. And this is where we discover God's grace poured out upon us. And this is why, why the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. No, we have a new habit. Our new habit is that we meet together. Why? Because it's when we meet together that we discover and experience the grace of God. And what is it? What is this grace shown to us? Well, we're spurred on. Anybody remember the cowboy movies and the, and the cowboys with their spurs on? They just have to stick, stick that, those spurs in the side of that horse and boom, that horse moves. Same thing with Christians. We spur each other on to love it, toward love and good deeds. And we do it all the more as we see the day of Christ's return approaching. You see the grace of God that's poured out in Koinonia. If you don't get together for fellowship, you're not spurring each other on. The next thing you know, you've forgotten all about God. You forgot about the church. You forgot about what God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. This is the power of fellowship. We see God's grace poured out. Now, there's also communion, the Lord's Supper. Every time you and I take communion together, which we're going to do in a couple of weeks, every time we take communion together, we're reminded, first of all, our sins are forgiven. We've been washed clean. Do you know, it's for so many people, when it comes to communion, it's the most stressful event in the church calendar because suddenly you are aware of what a sinner you are. And the first thing that comes to your mind is, I'm so unworthy, and I have seen people who won't take communion. 
And I'll ask them, why didn't you take communion? They'll say, well, because pastor, I've sinned and I've sinned more than usual and I'm especially undeserving this Sunday. So therefore I thought I better let the plate pass. I better not take communion. Can I just tell you something? You're never worthy. I don't care how good you think you were last week. Was it particularly a good week for me, pastor? Today is the Sunday I need to take communion. (laughs) No Sunday are you worthy of communion. Communion is for sinners. If you're not a sinner, then you're in the wrong place because this place is full of them. We got more sinners per square foot here than anywhere else. In fact, even what's on the platform this morning is a sinner. In fact, I'd go so far as to say with the Apostle Paul, I'm the chief of sinner. And you're supposed to say, not a man, not a man. Not amen. You're supposed to say, no, pastor. There we go. We're getting there. That's the power of communion. Every time you take communion, you are reminded that you have been saved, you have been healed, you have been delivered of your sins. They've been washed away. Every Sunday when you take communion, you rejoice in the Savior who has set you free. Hallelujah. You see God's grace poured out? This is why you need to avail yourself of the means of grace. And it comes, my friends, through coming to church every, thank you, every Sunday, not once in a while. And by the way, can I just tell you this? If you want your kids to grow up to be Christians, get them to church every Sunday. Now you have radically increased the chances that that's exactly what will happen. If you don't want your kids to follow Christ, if you don't want your kids to to think that that being a Christian is important, don't come to church. Just talk about it at home and tell them, hey, yeah, my parents used to go to church, my grandparents, can you believe it? They went every Sunday. Your kids will grow up and think, it's not important to my parents, it's not important to me. Get them to church every Sunday. Let them experience the Lord's Supper. Let them experience the reminder that Jesus has washed our sins away and watch the grace of God be poured out in their lives, empowering them to follow Jesus. When you take communion, you're reminded. You're reminded that you belong to a new family. You belong to the family of God. You're reminded that God is your father, even though you don't deserve it. He's your father. And by the way, that's why we come together to worship. We worship God for what he has done for us through Christ. Every time you take communion, you're reminded that we are welcomed to his throne. We are welcomed into his presence with our petitions, our prayer requests, and needs. Folks, when we take communion, we experience God's grace where where we receive fresh courage to face this life. We we receive fresh hope to carry on. Our joy is renewed because we recognize it's not about what I do. It's about what he does. What has he done for you? When you take that communion, oh, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. There's one more thing. Prayer. You've heard me say last few weeks that prayer is having our hearts and our minds aligned with the heart and the mind of God. One of the, one of the things that Gloria and I love to do when we get away on vacation is we spend great, great, chunks of time in prayer, sometimes hours. And we always say, every time we get away and we pray together, we come back to miracle after miracle after miracle, which we have to go through the boring steps of doing regular prayer. And then we begin to see the extraordinary. The ordinary means of grace is what what produces the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit. When you pray, your heart is reminded that that 
God, through Jesus Christ, is still in the business of answering prayers. He's still in the business of transforming us. Hallelujah. When we go into prayer, the first thing that Gloria and I do is we rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. We rejoice that we have been justified through Jesus Christ. We've been made right with God. Not because we deserve it or because we're so good. Gloria is better than me, much better than me, but not good enough. But she's put her faith in Jesus Christ who is good enough. And then begins the work of sanctification by his spirit. He transforms us. Folks, that's what these habits are all about. It's about the sanctification process where you and I are being made like Jesus. And you say, Pastor Alan, you know, I'm just not good enough. And I don't know when I'm going to be good enough. And when am I, I going to be, when am I going to be perfect? Well, it's a good question. And the answer is simple. When you're dead. That's when you're going to be perfect. And we call that the doctrine of glorification. First comes what? The justification. That's the work of God. Then comes sanctification. That's the work of God. Then comes glorification. And that is when we come before the Lord and given a brand new body, brand new mind, brand new heart, no more prone to wander, no more prone to sin, no more wandering from the faith that we love, no more wandering from the God that we love. No more tears, no more sorrow. The tears are all washed away. That's the power of prayer. And does God do things? You better believe it. When I think of our prayer meeting every Tuesday from 6 to 6.30 for Burundi, I think of the establishment of, of VOH Moravia and then, and then estab establishing, planting a church in Moravia, and then praying that God would provide the funds to build a building there for the church in Moravia. And Dennis tells me when he was just there, there, there's like 400 believers there now, and that wasn't there before. And what is this? This is the work of God, the extraordinary work of God, because some Christians were able and willing to practice the boarding, ordinary means of grace. You see what I'm saying today? I could go on and on today of the miracles that God has done because Christians were willing to practice these ordinary means of his grace. Well, let me just say this in closing. It says all the believers, all the believers were doing this. Can I, did you hear that? Not just some of the believers. Nobody said to these believers, well, here's some suggestions for you. If you just do some of these things, this should, this should make things good for you. All the believers were devoted to this. This is what all the Christians did. I'm going to tell you that today. Not just because you go to church every Sunday, just because you said a sinner's prayer, just because you think you're a Christian doesn't mean you are. You've got to make sure that you're really a believer. And then you've got to start growing in God's grace. That's what Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you know lots about Jesus Christ, but the fact is, is that you're dead inside. You have a head knowledge, but you don't have that spiritual intimate knowledge of God. All the believers were devoted. What is that word devoted? Well, very simply, in the Greek, proskarteruntes, which means persevering. They're per persevering in this. They're carrying on with this. They, it's the boring step after step after step, one foot after the other, just, just doing what I have to do, living like a Christian, doing, go through all these steps, all these habits, back and forth, and I'm just living like a Christian, and boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, these miracles begin to happen because I'm putting one foot in front of the other. I'm continuing to do the things that God has called me to do. I'm continuing to grow in my faith. I'm continuing to practice these habits, persevering, not giving up, continuing to do what God wants you to do. And that's why it says in verse 46, they continued daily in this. This Christian life that we're talking about, it's not just a Sunday activity. It's a daily walk with God where you're praying and you're reading your Bible every day. And I love the way then that chapter two ends. It ends with these amazing words. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You want to know how God does his work? How the church grows? It grows through growing Christians. Would you stand with me, please?
Father, we just rejoice today. We rejoice of the work that you're doing in our lives by your Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the example of that early church. And we marvel at the great miracles and wonders that were performed. But we recognize, Lord, that this work is done in the lives of people who practice the disciplines of the Christian life, availing themselves of God's grace. Father, would you continue to do work in our lives? And Father, we pray that we would be devoted to growing in Christ. We know ultimately, Lord, that this is a work of your grace, but we need to cooperate with you. We need to show up and do what you've called us to do. I'm praying, Father, that every person in this church would be attending these classes that will be taking place on Wednesday. Not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. Father, do a work in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. Tell the person beside you, sign up for the class on Wednesday.